Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33. 33. Are the numbering's right on this one? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> of the Wayward Dragons podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Kelsey. And welcome to the last episode in our spiritualist movement series that we've been doing. So... Yes, so in this episode, we're going to be talking about the origin of some things, like the origin of the Ouija board, um, spirit writing, history of EVPs, kind of how that got started, um, and spirit photography. So we're going to be talking about all those things. Yep, and then the next episode we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be talking about books and all sorts of fun stuff like that for the next few episodes, because yeah, we're nerds, <laughs> Yeah, like nerdy stuff, like books. We do. <laughs> We do. Yes, we do. How have you been? Been good? Yeah, been good. Uh, just, you know, work. Ready for the holiday season to start. Ready to not be working for a few days extra so I'm not dying from all that fun stuff. You? I, I feel that. So my second job, we finally, the season ended today, the day of recording. Um, so I am off my other job for six weeks. So I have a lot of wedding stuff to do between now and then. <laughs> so, nice. so yeah, getting all the save the dates out. We got to, yeah, there's so many things I have to do in these six weeks um, and celebrate so many Christmases. This is about to be insane. Um, so yeah, are you ready? Are you ready to dive in? I am ready when you are. <laughs> okay. So. Um, first off, we're going to be talking about the origin of the Ouija board. Um, it is the lovely, quote, game that you can buy that you just have to be, like, two years old to buy. In February of 1891, that's when you the first advertisements for the Ouija board start showing up in paper in Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh, PA, Pennsylvania, in the U.S. Weirdly, which I think is kind of funny... So the Ouija board is actually, like, patented and, like, trademarked <laughs> and the, the men that had created it had to go to the patent office and prove that it actually worked before they were able to get their patent for the Ouija board. And I just think that's kind of funny that you're asking them to prove a spirit board works. Um, but basically they asked the board um, the name of the chief patent officer because no one knew him by his first name. They only knew him by his last name. Um, so they asked for his first name and that's how they got the patent. But they also think that it could have been like one of the other people was an attorney. One of the people in the group that have invented quote invented the Ouija board was an attorney that worked with the patent office so he actually knew the chief's first name they think so what did it was it real who knows obviously this came out of people's obsession with wanting to talk to the dead and this kind of helped um stop them like calling out the alphabet so when people were in seances and stuff, they would call out the alphabet and the spirit or whoever they were communicating with would like knock on the letters 
So it kind of helped combat the constant saying of the alphabet. Kennard Novelty Company were the first producers of the Ouija board. Obviously, they're no longer owned by that company anymore. But the men that invented it were in Ohio at the time um, in 1886. And the Associated Press was like talking about these boards that these people in these spiritualist camps were using to contact the dead. And before anybody else could like get them across the country, these men figured out how to patent the Ouija board and the Ouija board was born. So basically Ouija boards invented, patented everybody. And I mean, everybody is buying these. They are selling hundreds of thousands of these boards. They have to keep opening up factories to keep up with the demand. But basically in the 1910s and 1920s, after obviously world war one is over and we start to come out of the Jazz Age, you know, Prohibition. You see another surge in the Ouija board. And it was so normal that in May of 1920, Norman Rockwell, he was an illustrator, depicted a man and a woman talking with a Ouija board in between them for the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. And then we're going to be talking about more about what I'm about to say in an couple episodes from now but in the year that the exorcist the original exorcist when that came in theaters that's when you start to see the shift in how the ouija board is viewed so long for a long time it was seen as how to talk to spirits and then when the ouija board came out you see that shift for now it's bad and we're opening doors and it's it's a portal and you're you contacting the demons, demons in. Yeah, you're contacting demons with all that pea soup vomit. So, <laughs> um, so that's where you kind of start to see the shift. One person in this article basically related it to when Psycho came out, and all of a sudden you started getting scared to shower alone because of the the scene and the original Psycho in the shower. So. Well, that's why you're supposed to shower with a buddy. Yes, always. It also saves water. Not in our house. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, the Ouija board in The Exorcist, you see the shift of of it being innocent to it being dangerous. And, I mean, the, like, so, you can think what you want. I personally don't like Ouija boards because I, I feel like they're a door. I, I personally feel like you are inviting things in when you start doing that in that way and not have the proper protections and stuff in place. There's a way to talk to the other side, but you, I don't know if you, you just can't do it all like willy nilly. But they basically came up with this theory that the Ouija board only works because of the odometer effect. I, I, Demeter, I, I D E O M E T E R effect. Basically, it's an unconscious thing that we do. And that's why the whole planchette thing, you kind of have to be a little leery of it because it's something that our, possibly that our unconscious brain does is we just unconsciously move things around. Just, it's where you kind of go on autopilot. Yeah, basically. Because they were doing tests of like, 
with a robot and stuff like that of like is it us are we doing it or is it something like further in our brains that are doing it um but my thing is if you're going to talk to the other side kind of do it safely don't just go at it willy nilly because i mean you can buy pendulums and stuff i have one it's actually <laughs> in my car but i mean there's there's safe ways to talk to the dead and like talk to your ancestors i don't know if a ouija board would be the right way for you i think with everything it probably depends on the person their skill level yeah. but it also in part uh you know as with everything I think education is extremely important. While yes. you may be good at something, you should not just dive fully into it. You should educate yourself on all the different ways of doing the thing and yeah. different ways of protecting yourself before doing the thing. Yes. But contacting spirits and using some form of spirit board goes farther back than just the Ouija board. So basically started with the Chinese with automatic writing. So they would use sand, like the ash of incense. It eventually migrated, eventually became like a planchette type thing, but it was like a weird, it was like a weird like stick thing, like that they would hold up against them it had like a lot it it looked like a weird dick not gonna lie and because <laughs> it like protruded from their hips in <laughs> these photos i found and it was like a three-pronged thing that like two sat in the stand the sand so it was sturdy and then the longer one is what you wrote with it, do you it not do you not write things with your penis kelsey <laughs> i don't have them. I mean, if I had one, I would probably, but I don't have one. (laughs) Listen, show me a guy out there who has not tried to write his name in the snow (laughs) where there was snow, and I'll show you a man who's a damn liar. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm like, I'd try. (laughs) I would try if I had a dick. Sure. But I don't have one. (laughs) So basically, that's kind of where it started from. Um, psychography basically they would channel the spirit or the god or entity or whoever that they're trying to talk to they would be in the person that had this weird contraption and that's who would do the writing obviously that didn't stay with just them so it you know it migrated to the Greeks the Romans everybody they eventually formed their own way of doing these things and then during the spiritualist movement, it kind of gained new ground and just changed face. Because um, mm-hmm. you also had people that would like do writings on chalkboards and stuff like that during that time, or like they would just like physically write on paper instead of like a chalkboard. So it just it just changed the face. The Ouija board just became a an easier way for them to understand what they were the message that was trying to be articulated across so the next thing we're going to talk about is spirit photography so we're going to talk about this in two parts during the spiritualist movement and now so 
because this will happen with EVPs too. So in the beginning, spirit photography, the primary goal was to capture images or entities with their loved one. So those images, like the Mary Todd Lincoln photo where you see her and then you see Abraham behind her. And I mean, it was a very popular thing. You have to think of the time that this is happening in the U.S. So you have the end of the Civil War. You have a lot of people that lost a lot of loved ones who didn't have a proper goodbye and all these things. So you have a lot of people that want that last photo with their loved ones because you see also pop a rise in the photography of the dead. You know, all those weird pictures of all these weird little children that look like they're asleep. They're not asleep. They're dead. So you have a lot of people that want their last pictures of their loved ones. So it basically started out as an experiment. They kind of wanted to figure out. They were experimenting with ways of like double exposure. Or like what happens if you didn't wipe off all of the last exposure. Like what, what happened. Or like what would happen... If you started the exposure and then someone left like halfway through. So they, it was a lot of experimenting at the time. Sir David uh, Brewster in 1856, he recognized these effects that could be used to create all these ghostly images. The London Stereoscopic Company. Um, they decided to use Brewster's idea and created a series of images called the ghost in the stereoscope, but it wasn't until the glass plate negatives were used in 1859 that made the the double image kind of possible. That's how it kind of started was these double exposures. So you would lay one on top of the other in a way. Okay. Um, and then in the 1860s, it kind of changed a little bit where people would use like cutouts like pictures and from magazines and put those on the exposure kind of like uh the whole fairy picture yes yes we'll eventually talk about that eventually but kind of like that and then didn't really decline until the 1920s with harry houdini and he kind of basically told everybody that like this is junk but the most famous spirit photographer is William Mumbler. So he was a jewelry engraver and amateur photographer um, in 1862. The famous, one of his famous first photographs was that of his spirit cousin who apparently had died 12 years earlier. The sensation caused him to leave his engraving business and start a business as a spirit um, photographic medium because that was also part of his claim so that he, he was a medium, and he set up in New York and Boston, hoping to serve the families that have lost loved ones in the Civil War. So apparently, the spirits were captured were caused by double exposures from previous clients. Okay. Because the plates weren't properly cleaned in between. So that's what causes... In, like, when he's investigated by, the, I want to say, like, Harry Price, that's how they catch him, is they engrave on some of them. Oh, yeah, they engraved on some of them, and then they find out that the little markings that they made on those didn't come out in the photos, because they should have. Um, but basically, in 1869, 
Mumler is charged with fraud. He's acquitted of all charges, um, but that trial unfortunately dampers his reputation. But that does not stop Mary Todd Lincoln from seeking him out and getting the famous Mary Todd Lincoln photo. And then in 1872, you start to see it in England um, with Frederick Hutchinson. His thing was he would, he gimmicked his camera to hold a pre-exposed image and then he would move that into place like a puzzle piece with the photo he was about to take. The one that Harry Price investigates is William Hope. Um, he's another one that they use the whole plate etchings on and that's how they catch him because the etching isn't in the photos either. And then with Mumler, a lot of the people that were like the ghost were people that were alive. (laughs) So how can you be dead if I just saw you? Time travel. Yeah. The second part that we're going to talk about is how this is used now. So for a while, spear photography was used as a way for people to see that their loved ones were still here. Now it's used as proof that spirits are here. So it it's kind of morphed. You kind of start to see now, you see more of a rise in um, the old Polaroid cameras. But basically, if you've watched like any ghost hunting show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, like the little orbs that you see that fly across the camera, if they're actually orbs and not dust or a bug... But you, cameras are obviously a huge thing, so it's, it's morphed into not just spirit photography, but video evidence. We watch Ghost Adventures like it's a religion in this house, and they use the Polaroid camera, but they um, they use this other like UV camera that make, takes pictures all in purple. So, do I think some of them are real? Yeah. Do I think some of it can be possibly explained? Also, yes. So, it's kind of morphed into... Now it's proof that spirits are here. Versus this is your loved one that's trying to contact you. Right. So, that's it's kind of morphed over time. And then you also have what's called pareidolia. So that's where you see human faces and things that are not a human face. Okay. So like if you look at the grain of wood and you see a face. Yes. So all those weird things that people sell on eBay of like, this is the face of Jesus or Virgin Mary. This is what's going on. It's this pardolia. So that's another thing when people take these photos and claim it's a spirit it's your your mind may not be actually seeing a face and it's your brain tricking you into you yes you may be seeing something it might be more of like a spirit moving it might be like a weird um anomaly i don't think you're seeing anything but it it might just be a weird anomaly and your brain is trying to trick you into thinking something is actually there but it's not Yes, our brains are absolutely wonderful, but they do play tricks on you. So that's another thing you have to consider with spirit photography is you may not actually be seeing something. You might be seeing a weird light anomaly and your brain wants you to see a face in it. So it is what it is. So now 
the history of EVPs. We'll talk about this in two parts. There's also an amazing lore episode where he does go through what I'm about to talk about. But it's like a 30 minute episode. So Father Roberto Lendel del Moro was a Brazilian Catholic priest and inventor. They say that he's kind of like the early pioneer in long-range radio broadcasting and voice transmission technology to experiment with talking to the dead. He kind of starts laying the groundwork for for future um, EVP researchers. And then you have American photographer and spirit photographer Altia von Sesley. They were among the first to try to record what they believed were the voices of the dead as a way to prove that he was photographing ghosts. Because he's like, well, they're here because you can hear their voice on the recording type thing. He began his attempts in 1941 using a 78 um, RPM record, but he didn't really capture anything. So it wasn't until 1956 after he switched to a reel-to-reel tape recorder that he believed he was actually successful. And then he started working with Rainbow Bayless and they conducted a lot of recording sessions and they made like this um, like soundproof box type thing so there wasn't any real contamination or Like whoever. a uh, uh, sensory deprivation chamber type thing? Yeah, so there wasn't any, like, outside contamination, so whoever was sitting in the box, you could hear the noise that they made, but if there wasn't, like, any outside contamination from, like, a car going by or something like that. Yeah. Part of me feels like I would love to go into one of those, but at the same time, I feel like I would go absolutely crazy being in one. Yeah. They say the longest somebody's last is, like, 40 minutes or something. In, like, the big one that they have somewhere. They published their work um, in the Journal of the American Society of Cynical Research in 1959. Bayless actually wrote a book that he co-authored in 79 called Phone Calls from the Dead. That kind of just talks about their research. But the who they say is the father of EVPs is a man called Frederick... Frederick Jurgensen. So he was a painter. Um, he was a Swedish painter and a huge film producer. He did a lot of documentaries. He's one of the reasons why Pompeii was kind of preserved and kind of the church stepped in to help preserve that. Huh. But, but that's like the lore episode. This is who he's going to talk about because he's kind of, in a lot of articles I read, it's like he's kind of the father of EVPs. So in 59, he set out to like a summer home to record bird songs. And he noticed when he played the tape back, um, he could hear a voice. And he heard his father's voice. And then on top of that, later on in the recording, he heard his wife's, his deceased wife's voice. He kind of like holed himself up and just made nothing but recordings for years. He eventually teams up with a Lativian psychologist who taught at in a university in Sweden. And they work in conjunction for a really long time. They make over 100,000 recordings 
of their attempts of talking to the dead and they record a whole bunch of people speaking like all these different languages and all these different people they claimed like past major celebrities and stuff like that that were on the recordings and they would invite people to listen to the recordings and kind of see what they heard because that's one thing with EVPs is it sounds it sounds like gibberish it sounds like gibberish and there's it's hard to interpret but he basically believed that the clarity of the voices heard in the recordings implied that they could not be readily explained by normal means he thought that it was kind of some fault to the apparatus that he used they don't really know they both write different books and the reason why Jurgensen eventually teamed up with this um, psychologist was Jurgensen wrote multiple books of his communications with the dead. And this parapsychologist, the psychologist read one and thought his work was absolutely amazing and just like called him up and was like, yo, come to this lab and we're going to do it like scientifically. They collaborated for about five years. 1969, they parted ways. But basically, that's kind of where EVP started with your normal tape recorder. This is where we're about to get into modern times. So, like, if you watch shows like Ghost Adventures, Scopes Hunters, or anything, they have, Ghost Adventures call it a spirit box. And basically what happens is, is it goes through all of these radio channels and it creates this white noise for the spirit to come through in real time. Okay. The, when Ferguson and the psychologist split, the psychologist started to experiment with the radio waves. Or maybe it was Ferguson. Yes. It was Ferguson. I'm sorry. Wrong person. Because the right frequency is 1485 hurts like that's like the sweet spot frequency and one of the reasons why Ferguson like started out recording recording the dead is he was getting thoughts that he thought was from an extraterrestrial being not on earth that was telling him things about the satellites in space so he started recording to hope in hopes of capturing these weird thoughts and voices that he heard in his head out loud never really happened like those like weird extraterrestrial thoughts he had about satellites but he was capturing other things he was capturing voices of his mom and his father his wife and stuff like that and then he invents the child of the spirit box and then William O'Neill in 1880, he kind of further messes with the spirit box radio thing. And then O'Neill has a partner called George Meek. He kind of creates like a loop, like a radio loop that kind of happens. Um, okay. And that's where spirit box kind of becomes what it is today. Where it's like a noise loop. It goes through the same channels all the time. But it's also like that white noise generator that you see now on ghost shows that they all use. They also have a lot of other devices that they use now where you can, they've got a word bank of like 100 words and you can 
pick from the words, which I always think is weird. In 1882, 1982, not 1882, 8, 1982, um, there's a woman, her name is Sarah Estep. She founds the American Association of Electronic Voice Phenomenon. Um, and she is a person that sets up the class system for EVPs. So there's three rankings for EVPs. There's class A, B, and C. A being the highest and C being the lowest. So your class A EVPs are going to be something that is extremely clear. Like someone saying no, like it's super clear. You don't have to question it, what it is. A level, a class C is going to be something that you don't know what is being said and you have to keep cleaning it up. You have to keep asking people, what, what do you think this says? It's not entirely clear. It kind of sounds like children gibberish. Gotcha. So that would be your class C. Class B is obviously in between. It's not really clear. It's not really muddy, but it's, it's somewhere in between there. Because she was inspired by Ferguson's research and stuff to kind of figure out kind of a class system. And this is used in, this is still used today, the class system. I'm going to say Ghost Adventures again. In their earlier episodes, they have an EP, they contact someone from the um, association to kind of help them figure out, like, is this a class A EVP? So we'll talk about this kind of briefly. So... There was a term that was coined called instrumental transcommunication. It was coined in the 1970s that basically meant spirits could contact you through any form of technology. And like in Poltergeist, where they're communicating through the TV? Yes. Think of Poltergeist. So, yeah. (laughs) So, this term was kind of invented to include everything. So, not just, you know, your normal voice recorders that were used for EVPs and then, you know, the spirit boxes with the white noise, but you kind of see this more now with cell phones, random text messages, phone calls from your deceased loved one's number that you know was deactivated, random TV shows coming on that you and your loved one used to watch together. So all those other things that have come with technology, the lights going on and off or like um, the fax printing something, you got fax something from your deceased loved one's old fax number that you know isn't working anymore. So it was coined to encompass all those things because you do have that now that's i've seen that in a lot of different on different like ghost shows that kind of retell somebody's story um you see that a lot of my grandmother's phone number i know is deactivated but she's calling me or like i'm getting text messages and i know i still have her phone like activated Like, the number is still mine, but the phone is shut off. No one had, like, but I'm still getting messages and stuff like that. So you kind of see a lot of different things now, now that we have a little bit more technology. So it's not just EVPs. Now that you can get, you can have random phone calls, because I've heard of that, where they get a random phone call, and it's like a really weird voice on the other end that they can't really... Like the ones that say you have 
seven days. <laughs> no, it's like a weird, creepy voice that you can't really make out. But it sounds like your loved one telling you, like, I love you or goodbye or something. So, but yeah. That's kind of the history of the Ouija board. How it started in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But it was around before that. It just kind of changed face. So automatic writing kind of changed face like everything does over time. It morphs into something else. So it changed from writing in sand to this Ouija alphabetic board. Um, And then spirit photography. How that's kind of changed. So you have people trying to get you a picture of your lost of your loved one that you've lost and now we use it as a way to prove that the paranormal is here in the form of orbs and then you have evps evps changed from simple recordings on a on an actual record player to something that we have that produces white noise and goes through all these am fm radio stations and then there's even more devices beyond that that is a word simulator and there's a whole bunch of stuff now um but yeah that's this is our last episode for our spiritualist movement our next episode johnny's going to be talking about famous grimoires so and famous more famous occult texts but before we get to our whole spiel we're going to do our tarot card readings. So what what did you cut, pull? I have the Six of Discs, also known as the Six of Pentacles. Okay. Um, it is a representation of success. This card's about settling down. It can be very heavy, heavy uh, woefully lacking in imagination, yet somewhat dreamy. Basically, it means that change is coming, uh, that it is going to be a massive life-altering change that will push you forward into positive things in your future. Okay. Okay. So I pulled the Nine of Potions or the Nine of Cups. After a long journey, the Nine of Cups symbolizes the finding of self-satisfaction. The emotional journey of the Cups is starting to come to a close after a volatile. Ups and downs you face in earlier numbers of this suit. You have struggled to find purpose and joy after loss. You have tasted the different things that life offers and you have left comfort in order to find greater heights. Here you have found them and you are indulging yourself as you celebrate this new stage of your life. I think these readings kind of really resonate with what you've got going on this year with yeah. getting hitched and <laughs> getting married and all that that is entailing. All that stuff. Because it wanted like it once we get married like there's a lot of stuff that like is happening after like I'm quitting my main job like I am going to only be working my second job and doing this so it's I'm quitting a job that I've had for almost 15 fucking years that is slowly draining my life away. Like. Which is a huge step. Yeah. But it's it's one of those things of like, I, I am mentally done. Like, I mentally cannot do that anymore. And getting married is, 
it's a major turning point in my life because I can finally do what makes me happy. And not being yeah. at my first job is not making me happy. It's making me absolutely miserable. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm planning a wedding without my grandma and all that that is entailing with my grandpa and all that stuff. So, I'm just learning yeah, how to navigate. Girl. You got this, my dude. <laughs> I, know. I know. You're too damn stubborn not to. Oh, I know. I know. That's why it's just like, it's me biding my time because I'm like full up like I want to quit tomorrow but I can't. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's like being patient that is the hardest thing to learn. Well, patience is a virtue. It is that I do not have a lot of. My fiance has so much more patience than I ever care to ever have. He is definitely the more patient one out of the two of us. And yeah, the last reading was about, was more aimed towards me than it was you, for sure. We thank you guys for listening through the year, and if you're a new listener, we thank you for joining in for with us. Yeah, uh, we hope you continue to listen going forward and enjoy our insight and information dumps. And <laughs> you know, if you listen to our review episodes, uh, our shenanigans and <laughs> our. BS yeah. opinions on things that may or may not agree with yours. Yes, this is very true. Um, we want to remind everyone to, you know, while, yes, while you're listening to this, the New Year's celebrations are winding down, but continue to stay safe. Yeah. And, stay you safe. know, make sure you're showing love to your loved ones and showing them appreciation where you can. And keeping the boundaries with toxic people. I'm always going to say yes. it because the boundaries are the hardest part in a toxic relationship. And just because they're family does not mean that they get a free pass. So, well, And you're, you're a kind and caring person. And yeah. I think that's why you end up having to deal with so many toxic people is just because, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, you're a kind and caring person and they see that and latch onto it. Yep. And learning to say no is one of the hardest things you have to learn. Yep. Even if it is with a loved one. It's even harder with a loved one. It's so easy to do with a friend because sometimes you're an acquaintance and you don't really care. But after a while you start to care about people and it's really hard to make those boundaries. So just because they're family, just because it's the holiday season does not mean they get a pass. Yep. Don't, don't be afraid to smack a hoe. Never. Never be afraid. (laughs) (laughs) Never. Never. We will see you guys next time. Uh, Don't, you know, forget to like, subscribe, rate, review. Tell a friend. Share us and all that fun stuff. Yeah. You can join us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. The hands that you see in YouTube are my hands. I'm the one that does the unboxing videos. Um, Because I have a subscription box that I unbox once a month that I need. I'm going to buy you like some mannequin hands. That way you can have like (laughs) mannequin hands moving stuff. That would be so weird. Or or better yet, some monster gloves. (gasps) Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I actually have to buy gloves for my first job today too. That's funny. Yeah. So join us. If you have a book recommendation, a topic recommendation, or if we have somehow managed to fuck something up, 
you can email us at thewaywarddragons at gmail.com. But yeah, until then. Question mark? Just <laughs> <laughs> a slight inflation there. <laughs> Dot com. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Definitely. Dot com. And gmail. Until then. Yeah. Uh, well, even after then, I think. Uh, unless I change my name for some reason. I'm Johnny. And I'm Kelsey. Bye. Bye.